1 Corinthians 12. Uh, if you don't remember this, um, I just announced it, but I'll, I'll, I'll put it before us again, right? So today is my last sermon until August the 1st, so Lord willing, that's, that's the plan. Um, and many have asked, what are you going to do uh, with your eight weeks away, with your sabbatical? And, um, and I could tell you all the things that we're going to go do, right? It's going to be fun. It's going to be uh, hopefully restful, although uh, days at the beach with children is often not restful, uh, but that's just how it is, right? Um, that's going to be what we do on purpose. Um, and so, but I'm going to ask you this. Instead of you asking me and being curious about what I'm going to do over the next eight weeks, my question for you as we get into this is what are you going to do over the next eight weeks? See how I flipped it on you? See what I did there? So what are you going to do? And, that, and the reason why I'm asking that is because over sabbaticals, when, when pastors take sabbaticals, there are churches and there are people within churches that take it as an opportunity then to go visit other churches, to disengage, to go disconnect, to go, to go visit their favorite preacher in town or out of town or, or, or take those extended times away. And I'm telling you this right now, like there's a time and a place to go take some extended time away. That's a good thing. Um, is it a time for you to just sit at home and consume another sermon online from your living room? Um, some of us are still doing that. I'm not saying that there's, yes, I am. I am saying there's something wrong with that to a point. Like at some point we have to get back into being the community of God. And, and, and that's what today will be, um, is really this question, like, what are we going to do? What are we going to be? Not just what I'm going to do, what I'm going to do with my family, but what are you going to do? And what are we going to be as a family? And I think to help us get our minds around that, I want us to do two different things. Number one, I want us to remember where we ended last week, and that is Acts chapter 2. Um, we, we celebrated Pentecost, right? And today is the second week of like really emphasizing the Holy Spirit. Really, I'll get to gifts. But if we remember where we ended last week out of Acts chapter 2, we found that the early church, after the Holy Spirit came, after he filled the people with the power and the presence of God himself, what were the, what were the, the people found doing at the end of Acts chapter 2? And they were found doing four things, and they were devoted, right? They were devoted to the, to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to fellowship. They were devoted to the breaking of the bread. And they were devoted to the prayers. And all of that really just gave the fruit to multiplication and generosity and gratitude. And you see the early church exploding because they were devoted to those four things. Today I just want to mention the second thing, which I kind of made mention of last week. And that was this idea of the fellowship. This mutual interdependence, it's this Greek word koinonia. And so if you've ever heard of like koinonia church, there's, there's churches that are called out of koinonia. And so this word is very textured. It's very layered in its meaning and it's translated differently throughout the New Testament. In Acts chapter 2, it's translated the fellowship. In Philippians 1.5, it's translated partnership. So if you're a partner of our church... You're a part of the koinonia. You're a part of the fellowship. This idea of partnering in the gospel with one another. There's a mutual interdependence here that has more to do than just fellowshipping over a potluck lunch after somebody preaches for 30 or 40 or 50 minutes. That's what we think of when we think of fellowship more often than not in American Christianity. But we've tried to intentionally say, yes, fellowship is good. But using that same word and using the same language out of the scriptures, then what does partnership look like? What does partnership with a local church truly look like? And we could paint those pictures for you, and we will in our partnership class, and we have during that time. But I want to call us to a mutual interdependence, a life Together, if you look at Acts 2, what did they share? And they shared life 
together. They parented each other's kids. They shared food, right? They prayed for one another. They shared money. Huh. They did all these things for the glory of God as a family of God. And that shook the world. The world took notice with this kind of living, not independent, but interdependent. Using what God has given you for the mutual building up of the body, of the family. It's my deep conviction that it is this kind of community that God wants to, to build in every local church. Not just the Grove, but any local church across the planet. In any church, that's what he wants to build in us. So we could talk about this koinonia in a lot of different ways, but again, I want to just talk about and focus on it in regards to the service to the body as a family. This idea of being spiritually empowered by the presence of the Spirit in a specific way, because as we just read, he's given a manifestation of the Spirit to each person. Some do this, some do that, and we'll talk about that, though not in detail, actually. But you need to understand, like, every person truly has been given a manifestation a, a presence and a gift by the Spirit. But before I get into those things, I want to uh, mention two pitfalls as we enter into spiritual gifts. The first pitfall is ignorance. That's why uh, what Steve just read, 1 Corinthians 12, 1, I do not want you to be ignorant or uninformed, brothers, sistren. I don't want you to be uninformed or ignorant of the spiritual gifts, and yet I know that many of us don't know what spiritual gifts are or even what our own giftings may be. Um, and yet God wants us to know exactly what they are, what their function is, and what their purpose is. But because it can get a little sticky, I want to clarify our position on what spiritual gifts are as a church. Some of you, I'm going I'm I'm to drop some theological uh, jargon here, and it may mean nothing to you. Uh, but for those that it does mean something to, hopefully it does mean something. So here's where we stand in regards to the spiritual gifts, the gifts of the Spirit. Um, number one, all are miraculous. That's probably the, one of the most shocking things that I'll say all day long. So some of us categorize the spiritual gifts, the regular old gifts, and the miraculous gifts, like healing and tongues and interpretation. If you have the gift of administration, that's as much as a miracle because the Holy Spirit, God himself, gave that to you. That's a miracle. That's a gift. That's something like enjoyable that God would give you. So they're all miraculous. But what we do believe about the spiritual gifts is that we are a closed canon continuationist church. And you might be thinking to yourself, what does that mean? Just really quickly. Continuationists believe that um, the more miraculous, uh, the speaking of the tongues, the healing, the interpretation, continuationists believe they're still in effect today. There are another camp called cessationists, meaning that they have ceased with the closing of the canon. So we are closed canon, but we're continuationists, meaning that the Holy Spirit is still giving people tongues, still giving people interpretation, prophecy, those types of things in today's world. We do believe that's normative experience or at least an expected experience of believers, just as I would expect some of us to have the gift of leadership or the gift of mercy or the gift of faith. We're still going to expect people to uh, experience the Spirit in those ways. Okay, so that's a continuationist. But we're closed canon. Meaning that if you have the gift of prophecy or tongues or interpretation or whatever that may be, it's going to be what the Bible says because this is sufficient. We don't need new revelation through you or me. Instead, we're just, we're echoes of what God's already said. 
We're not new revelators. See, that's where we get a little sideways and where we could probably start talking about false teachers. That's not us. That's not what we believe. We're closed canon. This is what the scriptures say. Any prophecy will line up with this perfectly and probably be already in here. Okay? So those, that's, that's, that's clarifying any ignorance that we may have both on what they are and what we believe about them. But the other pitfall is arrogance. Arrogance, it is no accident these passages, uh, like all the passages that we talk about with spiritual gifts, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, they all talk about spiritual gifts. In almost every one of them, they start with a call to humility. Every one of them. Romans 12, be sober-minded with all humility. Ephesians 4, make sure you have all humility and gentleness when you're dealing with these spiritual gifts. It's a constant reminder to be humble. It's a constant reminder to not abuse these gifts. So whether it's prophecy or spiritual uh, or, or, or the gift of tongues, or maybe even like preaching and leadership, like that too must not be abused. It must not be abused. It must be used in all humility. So today, I want to use this as we work through four points, really. And that is that God has given us good gifts. G-O-O-D. And I'm going to start with G. I don't normally do this. Apparently, I'm reverting back to my speech communication days at a and I'm going to make it easy for us with an acronym. Good. That's what we're going to talk about with gifts first. Oh, man. You thought it was going to get complicated. Nope. It's going to be super simple today. Gifts. God has given each Christian a mixture of gifts, but you might say, what are the gifts? Here's what I would say. Spiritual gifts are an empowerment by the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer, which God has sovereignly and graciously given to individuals for the purpose of building up the church. I didn't put that in my notes. I'm going to read it one more time. Spiritual gifts are an empowerment by the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer, which God sovereignly and graciously gives to individuals for the purpose of building up the church, right? First, there's a special ability that God has given you to minister to others. Second, they are given by a sovereign and good God. You heard this in Jenny's prayer that we sometimes will, will have a gift and it's like opening up a, a gift on Christmas that you're, you're like from your parents, um, not that I've ever done this, and it's luggage. And you go, oh, cool, luggage. I'm so excited for luggage. And some of you think that your spiritual gift is like the luggage that I opened up one year. And I was like, really, luggage? Great. Hanging luggage. Oh, it's the hanging bag. Ooh. Everybody stand back. But literally opened that up one day, one year, and I was like, I can't wait to fake my smile. Oh, thank you so much. Sometimes we think of our gifts that we get from the Spirit like it's the hanging luggage at Christmas. You couldn't have bought this for me any other day but Christmas. We think of that, and we go, man, great, I got a pair of socks, or I got my pajamas for Christmas. I don't know what your tradition is, but you're like, ugh, great, I get the gift of, of service. I don't get prophecy. I don't get, I don't get healing. I get helps. And yet, yes, praise God, you get helps. Praise God, you get service. Praise God, he's seen us for, like, not worthy, but truly, like, as, like, he sees us according to our abilities, like the parable of the talent says, and he gives us anything. He gives one person one talent. Oh, praise God for the grace that he would give that one person, that one talent person, just like he would give the ten talent person. And by the way, helps isn't one, per one talent. Helps might be the ten talent. We just have bad categories for this type of thing. That somehow, because you get a microphone and a stage, you're a 10 talent? I don't think so. I'm probably more like a half talent. 
Some of you are like, I knew it. He finally admitted it. <laughs> Man, humility, bro, I feel you. They are a special ability. They are given to us by a sovereign and good God. Look what we just read, three verses here in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, 11, and 18. Listen to what it says. To each is given. Hey, y'all, that means you. If you're a Christian, that means you. To each, he has given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as the person wills, no, as he wills, the Spirit wills. Don't get that mixed up. As the Spirit so wills. Verse 18, but as it is, God arranged the members and any local church, not to mention the universal church. Each church has its own uh, apportioned lot in this whole system. But God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. So if we are sitting back and we're thinking kind of in an arrogant posture, and I wish I had that gift. Yeah, yeah, but God thinks you should have a different one. So now what do we do? Are we going to continue to sit out and wonder what it would be like to have that gift? Or are we going to go, Lord, you, though, in your wisdom, in your sovereignty, in your goodness, have given me this gift. So how can I then be faithful with what you've given me here? You see, it's miraculous in every way. The third thing that we see in these gifts, they, they are given for the sake of others. That, he's, that this manifestation of, manifestation of the Spirit was given for the common good. Your Spirit is not for you to keep it at home. And keep it for yourself. Your fear, your, the, the spiritual gift that you have was given to you for the building up of the body. The common good. So if, you're, if you have like this spiritual gift of prophecy and you just burn people down all the time, that's not building up the body. Instead, in all humility, how can you build up that person or the people? And I struggle with this as someone who is, has a gift of prophecy. I struggle with it every week. Like, how can I make this more com compassionate? How can I make this more <laughs> encouraging? Instead of just yelling at all of you through an amplified device. How can we see this as more accessible and want to do it? And it's that want to do it that brings me to the second point. Not just good that God gives us gifts, but he also gives us opportunity. God has given you opportunities to use and discover your gifts. Whether or not you see them or not, the opportunity is before you. And I think this, this is where we get kind of sideways with spiritual gifts, is that we usually take an assessment, and this becomes like a paralyzing trap. We take an assessment online, and I think they're good, and I'll give you one. Spiritualgiftstest.com, pretty decent assessment. It's free. And you can get an assessment. I don't even know if like the, spirit, the spiritual gift of tongues is on there because most people that have the gift of tongues don't need to take an assessment to figure out if they have the gift of tongues. But like if you're trying to figure out if you have faith or mercy or leadership or administration or preaching or teaching or whatever that may be, then yeah, it'd be probably a good idea. But like usually you take an assessment and then you get the results back and you take your top three and discard the bottom three because the bottom three are like mercy and faith. And you're like, man, I knew I was a jerk and I just got proof. Right? That's not how this works. If you're not gifted in mercy, you don't just get to throw it out. If you're not gifted in evangelism, you don't just get to throw out evangelism. Those are commands by God to be merciful, to do the work of an evangelist. It may just mean like me, you're specially gifted in those things, but we still have a responsibility for those things. But instead, we get our top three and we go, okay, well, all right, it's this, this, and this. All right, where am I going to go? Where's my little spot in the church where I'm going to fit in? 
Where's my square peg to this, to this square hole? And that is a trap. I can tell you right now it is a trap, and I'll talk about it, uh, how do we fix that trap in a minute. But let me offer a different perspective. Out of Ephesians 2, verse 10. This is the thing that set me free when it came to spiritual gifts and exercising priesthood and getting in the game. This is the thing that set me free, Ephesians 2, verse 10. Look at what God says about the good works that we are to do. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He's given you opportunity. He's prepared for you opportunities, these good works. When he says beforehand, he means before the creation of the world. He prepared for you good works. So just walk in them freely, discovering them along the way, figuring out what you're good at, what you're terrible at, like having other people like speak into your life. Hey, I know that you may have thought you had the gift of this, but I really see this. Or brother, sister, I want to encourage you that God is using you in a mighty way when you do X, Y, or Z. We need the community of God to discern these things. But the good news is this. God has prepared these things in advance. All you got to do is walk in them freely. He's, you're not going to mess them up. He's already prepared them. It's just a matter of walking in them. See, clarity comes as we walk ahead into those good deeds, not before. The trap is to try and figure out what the good deeds are beforehand. The clarity comes as you walk into the fog of uncertainty of using your gifts. Then you start to realize, probably not gifted in that. Or, man, I felt alive. When I was sharing the gospel, I felt alive. Yeah, that might be it. That might be it. That's number two, that God's given you opportunities, right? Number three, that God has given us ownership, or he wants us to be a people that own things. We all need to own that which God has given us. Every Christian has uniquely been given a set of gifts which God wants us to use, again, to build up the church. If we do not own that gift, what happens? Well, it's what happens in 1 Corinthians 12, 15. Where the eye says to the foot, I don't need you. And just because you say, I don't need you, I don't want to be a part of this, doesn't make it true. Let's read it. 1 Corinthians 12, 15 through 17. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, so foot saying to hand, I do not belong to the body, will that make it any less part of the body? So he's saying, I'm out. I don't belong here. I'm not, I don't have any giftings here. I can't be seen here. After all, it is covered. My hand is free and easy, but my foot, you can't see it, but I'm wiggling my toes. You just can't even see what I'm doing with the foot. So it becomes something that's covered, that's less honorable, that you don't necessarily look at. So you're not shaking feet with people. You're not doing the kid and play at the, uh, out here, right? You're shaking hands. That's something that's honorable in society. That's what it's getting to. Using very basic language for us to just say, hey, this is a less honorable piece of my body. If he says to the hand that I'm not needed anymore, does it make it any less part of the body? No, because if I do this twice, I'm on my knees. He's still a part of the body, so he goes on. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. Why is that important? Well, you don't look at each other in the ears. If you do, that's weird. You look at each other in the eyes. It's an honorable part of the body. It's not an ear. So an ear now says to the, I don't want to be a part of this. You're not even looking at me. You're not even paying attention to me. I'm not even part of this thing. No, no. It's, you're still a part of it. A major part of it. 
That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? Do you see this? If you get too concentrated in one gifting, all of a sudden, you're a big eyeball. You're like Mike from Monsters, Inc. And that's the body. Where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? We need to own the opportunities that are before us because if we don't own these gifts and own the responsibilities that come with these gifts, we miss out on a few things. Number one, we miss out on maturity. And I'm not talking about uh, your own maturity, although that's part of it. You will miss out on maturing in the Lord if you say to the body, you don't need me. You will miss out on your own maturity. Not to mention, I miss out on my maturity. Did you know that my maturity is based on whether or not you engage your spiritual gifts? My maturity, my family's well-being in the Lord is dependent upon whether or not you exercise your gifts in priesthood. It's a mutual interdependence. So if you sit it out, if I sit it out, let's just say I have the gift of teaching or preaching. And I then all of a sudden get up here and you see me, but I just go, good to see you guys, but I'm not going to exercise my gift today. What would that do to the building up of the body of the Christ? You'd be left wondering, okay, so what would we do now? I don't know. I guess we sing some more. Maybe somebody pray. It, it would be weird, wouldn't it? But we have, we somehow do this. We've got to pick up our opportunities so that we can mature. The community then also is one of those things that has a, a huge benefit um, of coming together. Like this is one of the beautiful things about the road crew. Uh, the road crew comes together and they set up and all the kids come and the kids are running around and all the things that happen before 9.15, like that may be the most beautiful part of church of the whole day. Because the road crew is coming together, they're working together, they're catching up on life together, they're, 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 they're probably praying for each other. Every once in a while you'll see them outside and they'll be reading the scriptures or maybe even praying or whatever, just catching up on life. That's the beauty of people that come here and get started at 7.45 and leave at 12 whenever. They're building community as they exercise, probably not their spiritual gift. Y'all feeling me on that? You don't have to go, well, I'm not gifted in road crew. <laughs> With all humility. With all humility. But we also miss out on joy. You see, Jesus says that if we would love one another as he's loved us, that his joy would be made complete in us. His joy. How do we have joy in this life? I mean, out of COVID. Do you want more joy? Do you, you want to just like break the, 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 the cloud of mental anguish and worry and difficulty? How do we get out of that? Well, Jesus would seem to say we serve other people. We love others. We get out of thinking about all the things that we don't have right in this world or what went wrong or what we lost. It's all part of life. But that we would break out of that and serve, starting to consider others more than ourselves, just like Jesus did and described in Philippians 2. We have this opportunity where we seize it. G is gifts. O is opportunity. O is for ownership. Will we own these things like the parable of the talents? Let it be a good reminder that the talent, uh, the, 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 the unfaithful servant, the wicked servant takes the talent that he's given from his master and buries it. And Jesus' words are very sobering. 
very sobering, out into the darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, you wicked and lazy servant. But that we would not be that servant, but instead just take what God's given us, put it into action, let his fame and his reputation be known in our failures and in our, in our successes and in our victories and when we fall flat, all the same. And may we then give him honor and he would say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. You gave it your all. You owned it. You owned it like the best steward I know. Well done. The final letter is D. Gifts, opportunity, ownership, duty. Now, that's not a very exciting word. Again, this is about three or four weeks in a row, maybe five or six. I can't have lost count. Where we're not putting on our flyer about this, any new church around town going, we're going to show you your Christian duty. Come on in. But it is a responsibility. These gifts that God has given us come with it great responsibility. They are a duty. This weekend, as a country, we're celebrating Memorial Day. Right? Those that have given their lives so that we could be free. That's what we celebrate in this country this weekend. It's those that have seen duty as an honor, the highest honor. Duty that have a great responsibility to follow through, especially when it costs you everything. How much more the Christian for the king than a soldier for a country? How much more then because Jesus gave up everything and came not to be served as the king of the universe, but to serve and give his life for the ransom of many. You see, how much more for the Christian? How much more because of what Jesus, the greatest example of living this life that we could ever see, would give his life up so that we could be free. And so, yes, the Christian life comes with it, Duty, things you probably don't want to do but should do. Friday night, sitting on the couch, ate my pizza, just watched The Chosen. I mean, come on, man. That's like a good Friday night right there. Peeked out my blinds, and what do I see? A big pile of mulch out at the playground, and I'm going, oh, help me. Good thing I'm not on the board anymore because I don't have to do that. HOA board. I was on the HOA board for a little bit. And then, like, just the spirit started to just do his work. I'd already taken a shower on Friday. I was like, see, I've already taken a shower, so I can't go out there. I get all sweaty. I don't know if you know that Jesus, but I took a shower. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, yeah, I don't care. I gave you a hot water heater for a reason. Now. So I get out there, and we're just shoveling away at this large amount of mulch. We, start, we spread it out. I didn't want to do it, y'all. But I felt that there was a Christian duty in me. I don't have a spiritual gift of service or helps, or maybe I do in that moment. I don't know. But I do know that there are just some points in the Christian life that you do what's right because you know it's right. And I know that that's underrated in today's world where we just kind of everybody does what they want. But there's a responsibility of the Christian life to exercise our gifts because if we don't, where will we be as a community? Not just individually. See, that's where mutual interdependence has to come into play. So I know what you're asking yourself. When is he going to be done? The second thing you're asking yourself is how can you discover your gifts and put them into action? 
Number one, let me just get these to you, right? Take an assessment. It's a good thing to take an assessment. This is not in order. Matter of fact, definitely not in order. But take an assessment. I've already given you the website. I think it's spiritualgiftstest.com. Cassie will hook you up. If you have a question about that, she's going to do it. She's our ministry coordinator. She'll point you in the right direction. She probably already posted it on GroupMe, and there you go. Is it there? Is somebody probably already is like, yep, it's already there. Yep, yep, see? That's how she rolls. That's her spiritual gift. Administration, leadership, all those things, it's already on it. Right? Take an assessment, but take it with a grain of salt. It's not your everything. It's only limited to how much you think you know yourself, which is not a lot. Okay, so take an assessment, but take it with a grain of salt, right? Second, again, not in order. What are you passionate about? Do you like to see light bulbs go off in other people? That's one of my things. And the light, when I can see y'all and y'all just go, oh, that's like one of my favorites. It might be the gift of teaching. Do you just love just the awkward conversation with the lost person? You might have a beautiful gift of evangelism. Do you see people coming to know the Lord by way of your conversations with them? You may have that gift. You've got to take an assessment. What are you passionate about? Like, take notice of what you love to do. What are you good at? What do other people say you're good at? See, that may be different than what you think you're good at. Um, what are you good at, right? And then what opportunities are before you? And this is really where I would start. I would start with what opportunities are before you. I can't tell you how many times I've had somebody come to me and go, man, I want to lead a neighborhood group. It's usually a dude, especially with that deep of voice. I want to lead a neighborhood group. I want to lead a growth group. I might even want to plant a church. And you know what my response to them is? Grab a chair. How dare you? This is a future pastor. Yeah, yeah, grab a chair. Because you've got to start with humility and start with the small things Jesus would say. And then he'll give you more responsibility as you go along. The ministry of the chair is a beautiful, beautiful start. I know what you're saying right now, but I don't have the gift of chair. <laughs> you do. You just don't know it yet. Friends, serve your church. Open your home this summer to someone that you don't know. You say, I never cooked before. Cool. You know how many recipes are online? It's super easy. Like, clean your house. Invite people over. I can't tell you how many people I've heard. Well, I mean, my house is a wreck. Yeah, 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 clean it. It's not hard. <laughs> clean your house. Be intentional. Call them up. Like, risk yourself for a rejection. Maybe that's what you really got to wrestle with. Why do I have an idol of acceptance that keeps me from this exercise of hospitality? I'm not just talking about Sunday gatherings. I'm talking about everyday life, just like Acts 2, right? They shared homes. They shared meals. They shared, like, parenting duties. Hey, I don't know what just happened in the backyard, but I had to correct your kid. Are you cool with that? Totally cool with that. Praise God and amen. We're going to be friends forever. If you're not friends, you're not cool with that, I don't know. <laughs> right? This is what we do. We share life together, and we do what's necessary to serve one another. Let's serve our church, friends. Lay down our pride and learn new ways to lead, perhaps from the bottom up. Finally, fail forward. If you knew my teaching gifts, 
back in uh, 2006, 2007, you thought, well, I never want to listen to that guy again. You may still say that, I don't know. But I can assure you, lots of pride, lots of harshness. Lot, <laughs> I just heard somebody go, mm-hmm. Probably somebody in my family, hello, I can hear you. <laughs> lots of pride, lots of harshness, right? Just telling you, new, it's just a new law. Oh, well, you not do this, you do this, it's easy. I, mean, I wasn't doing it, but you can. It takes time to develop. And I'm not saying I've arrived. Don't hear me say I'm arriving anywhere. I am still on this journey along with you all. Matter of fact, one of the first things I said to our church, back when we were just a little bitty church um, at Joy Lutheran Church, I said, if you want a guy that's going to tell you all the right reasons and gives you all the right things about life, go find another church. Instead, I'll be on the journey of discovery along with you. Hopefully, most days, I'll be ahead of you on the path. I'm not going to be at the top of the mountain. Jesus is at the top of the mountain. I'll point you the way, and I'll, and I'll need you to help encourage me along the way too. We're all in process, but fail forward, friends. Risk it. Get out of the boat. Risk sinking. It's going to be all right. Jesus is going to be there. But let us be a people that try these things out for the common good and for the glory of God. Let me pray. Father, we love you. We're thankful. This may be the last time that I get to share the stage with these people for a couple of months, but it's not the last time that you're going to be here. You're going to meet us here every week in your people, encouraging, spurring one another on. And so help us, Father. By the power of your Spirit, would you help us partner with one another? Koinonia, fellowshipping, mutual interdependence, as members of one another, that we can't say to one another, I don't need you, but we need each other deeply. Pray you help us, help us exercise and, and be empowered and just be able to risk failure for the good of one another and for the glory of our good gift giver, our Father in heaven, who by the sacrifice of your Son and the sending of your Spirit has made us anew. Let us walk in newness and a new power and a new purpose. We, trust our, we entrust ourselves to you in these ways and in many, many more. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.